Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. excited to jump into a new sermon series uh, through the Gospel of Mark. Hopefully you guys are all there. If you're new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament, and uh, that's the second half of the Bible, and uh, the New Testament starts off with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are what we would call the Gospels, and the word Gospel means good news. So in the Gospels, we see the good news of Jesus Christ, and each of the Gospels depict the ministry and the teaching and the life of Jesus, but have a little bit different perspective. Whereas the Gospel of Matthew talks about Jesus as the Messiah. It's a great connection between the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah with the New Testament, uh, you know, uh, fulfillments of Jesus in his ministry. And uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, deals with Jesus as the servant of God. And so we've entitled this series servant savior because we see two symbols of Jesus in the gospels one is the cross and in the cross we see Jesus's sacrifice and uh, his love for you and I for God demonstrated his love towards us in this while we were yet sinners Christ died for us so the cross is a symbol of sacrifice but we also see the towel and in the towel Jesus takes on the form of a servant and we see Jesus as the servant here in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, uh, many scholars believe that Mark was actually the first gospel written. And uh, we're going to get into some of the introductions as we read these verses. But uh, it's a very quick book. There's only 16 chapters. And there's a lot of activity. And uh, we don't see many of the things that are normally recorded in the other gospels. We don't have a genealogy of Jesus. We don't even have a birth record or a birth story. We jump right into Jesus's ministry. And there's two important events that take place before the ministry of Jesus begins. And that is uh, the baptism of Jesus as well as the temptation of Jesus. And so the point that I want us to remember today as we read through chapter one and study this together this morning is that Jesus' ministry begins with urgency and secrecy. Urgency because there's a word that is used, depending on your translation, over 40 times. And it's the word immediately. We're going to see that a lot in chapter 1. Immediately gives us the idea of movement and activity and action. Immediately in the sense of Jesus is very busy doing the work of God, but also immediately in the sense that there are results that are taking place when Jesus heals people or even through his teaching. And so the key verse for this theme of Jesus as the servant savior is taken from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. You can jot that down. In fact, I believe you have it right on the front of your Mark journals. And Jesus there says, the son of man has come not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see the servanthood of Jesus, but we also see the sacrifice of Jesus in the cross. 
And so we're going to see this in, in four ways, just a very simple outline for us. And this is where the journals come in handy. You can jot these down, or we also have this outlined in our sermon notes. First, we're going to look at a very simple introduction to the Gospel of Mark as Mark introduces Jesus as the servant of God. Secondly, we're going to see the preparation that John the Baptist has in his ministry, preparing the way of the Lord. And thirdly, we're going to see the temptation of Jesus, where Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. And then lastly, we're going to see the compassion of Jesus. And here we see Jesus serving and healing and ministering to many people, not only individuals, but we also see Jesus heal and minister to people privately, publicly, uh, through individuals, as well as with multitudes. And uh, so we're going to jump right in here and look at these verses beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We read, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now this is a picture of revival. I love to see the many people. In fact, it says all the land of Judea and those in Jerusalem went out. There was a, a move of God. And uh, we've seen many revivals in, in the past history. We call them revivals or spiritual awakenings where God moves by his Holy Spirit. And he draws people to this word that is used in these verses, repentance. Now, repentance is a biblical term, but uh, it has a couple of meanings. Repentance is not only feeling sorry for your sin, but it means a turning or a changing. A changing of mind as well as a changing of direction. And so John here serves as, a, as, as one who comes to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight. In fact, that phrase that is being used there really means to uh, level the roads and to fill in the potholes when a king would come and visit certain towns. And so John's ministry is a way to level the spiritual hearts and the condition of people so that they would be ready to receive the work and the ministry of the Messiah and of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 6, it says that now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So this is a very unique guy. Uh, that's, a very, that's an understatement there, right? In fact, there's another person, a figure in the Bible in the Old Testament. His name was Elijah. And uh, he had a very similar appearance, but also very similar ministry. And at the end of the Old Testament, we're told that this messenger, or in fact the prophecy fulfilled in John the Baptist's ministry, as Jesus would say, that Jesus, excuse me, that John came in the spirit of Elijah. And that spirit was in the power, or in the preaching, or in the message. So, whereas Malachi in the Old Testament prophesies of God's messenger being fulfilled in John the Baptist's ministry, we see Isaiah's prophecy uh, fulfilling the message of John the Baptist, that he would bring this preaching of repentance and the forgiveness or the remission of sins. Now, John's ministry 
And John's message could not satisfy or forgive sin. In fact, we have many pictures and symbols and types of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Uh, But we see in the Old Testament, we see the Levitical law and the sacrificial system. And this sacrificial system enabled the children of Israel to come and receive forgiveness of sins through the high priest. And so in the book of Hebrews, we're told that Jesus now has become the great high priest. He's gone into the Holy of Holies. His sacrifice is what forgives us and cleanses us and heals us. And so there's this picture or this type. And John the Baptist is the picture and a type. In fact, he goes on to say that in this preaching in verse 7, he says, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. So there's a humility in John the Baptist. And he recognizes that he is not the Savior. In fact, he would go on to say in the Gospels that I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. And he's a very humble person because one day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he looked and pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And many of his disciples left him to follow Jesus. And John didn't turn around and say, Hey, where are you going? I'm the guy. No, he said, You need to follow Jesus. And uh, that's a real picture of humility. He was not looking for fame and fortune. In fact, wearing leather and camel's hair and this wonderful keto diet that he was on. I don't know if that's keto or not, but whatever diet, locust diet you want to call it, uh, is not the popular thing. It's, you know, not what you would see on TBN or, you know, the Instagram influencers. That's not John the Baptist. He wasn't concerned about outward appearance. He was concerned about calling a generation of people to get close to God. And when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's not saying to all these people, you're filthy, wretched sinners, and you need to confess your sin. He was saying that Jesus Christ is coming back. And, uh, well, that's later on, but he was saying that Jesus and the Messiah is coming. And when the Messiah comes, we need to be ready. He's preparing the way. And when the Messiah comes, then you see this Revival take place. The people are getting their hearts right with God. He preaches this message of repentance. And he says in verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now this word baptism basically means immersion. To be completely submersed into something. And in this instance, it's water. And baptism was just a symbol. It was a picture of one's confession and one's belief and one's trust at this point in the Messiah and recognizing their sin and their need for God and their need for cleansing and forgiveness and their need to turn away from their ways and to turn to God's ways. And so when you go into the water, it was this picture of cleansing and of washing and of rebirth and of renewal. Now, John says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we see the fulfillment of that in the first opening chapters of the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes upon the early disciples as they were praying and seeking the Lord. And Jesus says to his disciples, it is good that I go away. And the disciples didn't want Jesus to go away. And Jesus was talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection as well as his ascension up into heaven. And Jesus says, when I go away, I will give you the the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit baptizes you and comes upon you, you will receive power 
to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That the Holy Spirit lives inside the follower of Jesus Christ. And you have the power of God, the resurrection power of God. And the Holy Spirit now becomes the one who leads you and guides you. He is the one who is the comforter and the counselor. He gives you wisdom and discernment and direction in life so that Paul the Apostle and his other epistles in the New Testament would say that we should walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And we walk, when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, we will not satisfy the lusts of the flesh. The Holy Spirit with fire, and the picture of fire is refinement, is purity, is holiness. And we see all these people coming from the towns out to this message of repentance and getting their hearts right with God. And later on in this chapter, we see that many people in all the cities and in all the towns come to the doors of where Jesus was, say, was staying so that they could be touched and be healed and be cleansed by Jesus. This is a beautiful picture of revival. And it's one in which, you know, would be awesome to see, not only in our town, but across our country, where people are just coming to God in droves, recognizing their need for a Savior and their need for cleansing. But there's this person who comes before, and that's John the Baptist. And in verse 9, we see that, uh, in verse 9 it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw, that is Jesus, the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's a wonderful picture of the Trinity. If you're unfamiliar with the character and the nature of God in the Bible is that we worship one God in three distinct persons. It's called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here we see God the Father speaking in an audible voice with the heavens parting and the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus Christ during his baptism in bodily form as well as Jesus, as the Son of God, in full submission and obedience to the will of his Father in heaven. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we, we see Jesus introduced by Mark in this gospel as God's servant, as God's Son, as God's sacrifice, as God's Savior. And a uh, very simple introduction to this book is that we see Mark as the author, and most scholars believe that uh, there's no contradiction between Mark being the author of this gospel, but uh, Mark is also called John Mark in the rest of the scriptures, and we see John Mark in the book of Acts as well as in some of the epistles in the New Testament. John Mark was a cousin to Barnabas. He was also a close companion to Peter as well as to Paul. And if you remember in the book of Acts that John Mark accompanied Paul during his missionary journeys. However, they had a falling out and he, quote, abandoned Paul in his ministry. But later on in life, he was restored back into ministry and was very useful to Paul. But uh, John Mark was an early disciple. In fact, he wasn't an, a direct eyewitness to the events of Jesus' teaching and ministry. And so most scholars believe that this is the gospel of Mark according to Peter, because he was very close to Peter. And uh, this is Peter's account as he's telling 
John Mark about the stories and the ministry and the teaching. As I mentioned earlier that this is a very fast-paced book. There aren't um, a lot of teaching discourses. In fact, the Gospel of Mark, you could say, has a minimum of discourse and a maximum of deeds. We see Christ in action. We see Jesus busy healing bodies, but also busy saving souls. And so uh, this book was written to uh, Gentile Christians living in Rome by John Mark. And now as they're seeing and reading about the story and the ministry of Jesus, we also see this person that's introduced to us as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. As we mentioned, there's a fulfillment in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament that John the Baptist would be God's messenger. But we also see in the book of Isaiah that John the Baptist would speak and share God's message. And uh, John was a symbol. He was a picture, a symbol of the solution that Jesus Christ would ultimately bring. You see, John was not the solution, but John was pointing to the solution in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see John preaching this message of repentance. In fact, those are the first words that we see John preach. And those are actually the first words that we see Jesus preach. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. And so John is coming in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But he also has a purpose. And John's Preparation preceded the presentation of the Savior, Jesus Christ. He was to prepare the way and to make straight his paths and to call a people to acknowledge the coming of the Messiah. But he did this in a number of ways, not only in his preaching, but also in the practice of baptism. As baptism is the submersion into water, but also the baptism of the Holy Spirit by fire, it's completely consumed coming upon you, filling you, and overflowing you inside and out as a symbol and as a representation of your confession and of your belief in Jesus Christ. But the question needs to be asked, if Jesus was pure and sinless, why did he need to be baptized? Maybe you're thinking that question. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, see, Jesus was baptized not to admit his sin, but to accept the sinner to identify with the sinner. In fact, the other scriptures in the New Testament tell us that we have a great high priest, and the the high priest was the one who could go into the Holy of Holies, who was the intercessor, who would bring the forgiveness to the people before God. And Jesus Christ now becomes the great high priest who goes into the presence of God, and through his sacrifice, his sinless sacrifice, ensures the forgiveness that now we can come boldly into the throne of grace and mercy to obtain help in time of need. We have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who sympathizes and understands our weaknesses, who was in all ways tempted as we are, but without sin. You see, in order to satisfy the righteous wrath and judgment of God against sin, there needed to be a pure and sinless sacrifice. And that's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, the innocent one, the pure one, the sinless one, who takes away the sin of the world. For Jesus says of himself that he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So Jesus is not admitting sin in his baptism, but he is identifying with the sinfulness and uh, the cleansing that we as sinners need to accept, to understand, to embrace 
to walk in our shoes, to sympathize with our weaknesses so that we could have not only a servant who, who um, serves us, but also a Savior who cleanses us. So he comes baptizing and, uh, and washing us and forgiving us of our sin. But what happens immediately following after Jesus' baptism is really interesting. Look at verse 12. It says, Immediately the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. Everyone say tempted. Tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. So in the other Gospels, we have a much more detailed account of Jesus' temptation. But here in Mark, we just have a couple of verses We are not told in Mark that Jesus was tempted in three very specific ways through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The very same temptations that Satan brings against you and me. One thing that we need to acknowledge first and foremost is that there is a real adversary of your soul. And his name in the scripture is Satan. There's another word, serpent. There's another word, accuser of the brethren the deceiver of old, the fallen angel who led worship in heaven. This Satan is the enemy of your soul, and he wants to tempt you. Now, God does not tempt you. He will never put anything in front of you to tempt you to see if you will slip and you will fall. But he will test you. There's a difference between that. You see, the book of of, um, James tells us that we should... Consider it joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. That there is a testing of our faith to refine it and to purify it. And the word wilderness, or even the phrase 40 days, is the picture in the Old Testament of isolation, of tempting, and of trial, and of testing. We see the children of Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It was a picture of God's judgment. We see Moses before he was called as God's prophet uh, in the wilderness for 40 years before he went to Egypt. We see him up on the mountain spending 40 days with God. Uh, We see the rains coming down and flooding the earth for 40 days. We see Jesus here being tempted for 40 days. You see, you see uh, in Jesus, we have the completion of this judgment. And we have the completion of the ministry and the work of the Messiah. But we also see that there was isolation and there was testing and there was trial. And uh, Satan tempted Jesus when he was very hungry. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was fasting and he hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. And so he was very hungry. And Satan said, why don't you just make these stones become bread? And Jesus said, the man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He quoted scripture back to Satan. And uh, Satan also said, well, do you see all of these things, all of these kingdoms? If you would bow down and worship me, I'll give them all to you. And uh, Jesus responded with scripture saying, worship the Lord your God and worship him only. We're also told that Satan took him to the top of the temple and uh, said, why don't you just cast yourself down in front of all these people and you will be worshipped. And Jesus replied, do not tempt the Lord your God. And so in every instance that Jesus was tempted, he relied upon the truth of Scripture. But Satan was bent on tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And he tried every weapon of hell to get Jesus to fail. 
to get him distracted, to move him off course. But Jesus trusted the truth of Scripture when he was tormented by the lies of Satan. And I think in Jesus' temptation and in his response, you and I can also stand upon the promises and the truth of Scripture. That Satan will come and tell you lies in your head about who you are or who you not, who, who you not are. That's some really good English right there. But you know what I mean. And he will twist and manipulate. He will, he will bring up things in your past that you've said and that you've done. He will accuse you. And he will try to keep you from coming to church and reading your Bible and recognizing who you are in Christ. But we have this wonderful promise and hope that we can trust the truth of Scripture when Satan comes to tempt you and to lure you. The word tempt means to lure and to entice. And in the flesh, there are many things that can lure and entice us. It's the lust of the eyes, the same thing that was brought against Eve in the garden. Uh, Eve in the Garden of Eden, but also Jesus in the wilderness. The same temptations. He will use our, our senses, the lust of the eyes, the things that I think I need that will make me happy and I will be drawn and lured and enticed by them. The lust of the flesh. What, can I, what am I craving for that I think will satisfy me but will not satisfy me? I spent many years of my life trying to fill the cravings of the flesh with things that were in bottles and things that were in pipes and things that grew on trees that I would crumble and smoke. But it never satisfied. It left me empty until I was able to experience <clears throat> the satisfaction that comes through Jesus Christ. He's the one that can only satisfy. And it was the lies of Satan trying to tempt me and lure me away but it's the truth of Scripture. You can rely upon what Jesus Christ has said to you. How are you going to know the truth of God's Scripture unless you have it open, unless you have your heart open, unless you have it hidden in your heart and know God's truth? But I find it very interesting that the same Spirit that descended upon Jesus in His baptism is also the same Spirit that drove Him. The word, the word here is driven, that the Holy Spirit drove Him into the wilderness to be tempted. And uh, there are usually periods of testing in our lives at the point of trusting Jesus and following Him. We all probably could share some of those experiences. That there is a testing that takes place and a trial and a tempting that happens to refine and purify our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. To the point and the moment of trusting Jesus, there's going to be some hard times. Satan is going to come against you and attack you. But we, as Jesus, can rely upon the truth of Scripture, knowing who we are in Christ, and having the weapons of warfare at our disposal to fight against all of the lies of Satan. Here, Jesus is baptized. He's also tempted. But then he begins his ministry in verse 14. Look with me there. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically, God's presence is near us. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was the message of Jesus' preaching. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, 
and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And we had gone, when he had gone a little further, from there he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after Jesus. So in these verses, we see that Jesus calls these men to follow him, but he also has this message of the kingdom of heaven being close and at hand. And basically, Jesus says that as we repent and believe, there's two things that take place. One is there is an intellectual acceptance of the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but there's also a relational dependence. That's the word believe and faith and trust. And entrance into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is dependent upon the repentance and the belief and the trust of the citizens of earth. As Jesus preaches and proclaims this gospel and good news, he calls us to accept it and to receive it and to follow Jesus. Now, as he goes along the way, we're introduced to four different characters. We see Simon, who is Peter, and uh, we see... uh, uh, we see Simon and Andrew. We also see James and John, fishermen. Now, there's some good qualities of fishermen. Fishermen have to be very patient. Uh, they have to have a lot of tenacity. They uh, rise early and stay late. They have a strong work ethic. Who better, I think, than fishermen for Jesus, at least to start here with these men, calling them to follow him and to invest in them. And uh, we really see Jesus' intentional ministry at the beginning of his ministry, which was focused on investing himself and multiplying these men who would be fishers of men. And God's work and strategy in multiplication and in international evangelism has always been to invest in people. You and I are God's tools That God uses each one of us to be his witness, his ambassador, to share through our experiences and our passions and our gifts and our abilities in order to bring people to Christ. This is what Jesus has set out to do, to invest himself in men men and women who would go on to proclaim this message near and far. But we are also introduced to the miracles of Jesus. There's a lot of those happening here, and we'll just try to summarize much of it as we read through these verses. Take a look at verse 21 with me. And then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. We, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region 
and around Galilee. And now as they came out of the synagogue, notice this is in one day, a lot of ministry. Jesus is just going from one event to the next. They enter the house of Simon and Andrew. That is Simon Peter. And this is the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. So this is Peter, Peter's mother-in-law. And so he came and took her by the hand, that is Jesus, and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she served them. And that evening, notice we start early in the morning, we're in the afternoon. Now we're in the evening when the sun had set. They brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then, they, and then he, Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So we see here a picture of Jesus going from place to place. Jesus spent time healing many with compassion. He was moved with compassion and concern and care for many people. We have the miracles as well as the ministry of Jesus. And in Jesus' ministry, we see that he taught with authority and power. But he also served with humility, going from one place to the next. And we see him also praying with intensity in the following verses. In verse 35, we read, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he Prayed. We see Jesus pray with intensity. Now, in these verses and throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus have power over the spiritual forces of darkness. We're introduced to demon possession and spiritual attacks. We also see those who have physical infirmities and illnesses and sicknesses. Just in this chapter, we see uh, a woman with a fever in the next Verses at the end of this chapter, we see a man who is inflicted with leprosy, a skin disease that affects the entire body. So Jesus has power over the physical infirmities. But we also see this leper come with intense emotion and distraught because as a leper, someone who was inflicted with this disease was an outcast. A leper would not be allowed to go into the church. A leper would not be allowed to have physical contact. And the word described in this chapter of this man with leprosy is that it was advanced in stage. So this man had had it for a very long time. He was without physical touch. He was isolated and alone. And Jesus comes and the scripture says that as Jesus was willing to heal, he reached out his hand and touched them. Friends, let me just end with this encouragement as our worship team comes on up and leads us in a closing song. Stay with me here because I think this is the important takeaway of this chapter. As we come into this place, I recognize that there are many who deal with the spiritual intensities of life. There could be some in this room or those joining us online who are experiencing spiritual warfare, intense spiritual battles, and as we see in this chapter, those who experienced spiritual intensities were brought to Jesus. They came to Jesus, and Jesus healed. We also recognize that there could be some in this room 
who have physical infirmities, sicknesses, illnesses, and diseases. And I want to encourage you to come to Jesus with those, with those illnesses. That Jesus has the power to heal. It's, the power to heal is not in my prayer. It's not in my ability. It's not in any one person. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the power to heal the spiritual intensities that you are experiencing in life. He has the power to heal the physical infirmities that may inflicting you right now. But he also has the power to heal the emotional insecurities. As this man was so distraught, we can experience similar experiences, similar experiences in life. The distraught and emotional insecurities that we can come to Jesus and be touched and healed. You know, this man hadn't been touched in a very long time. But Jesus reaches, reaches out into his despair and touches him. I want to encourage you as we sing this song in closing to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and to touch your life. Whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, whatever it is. The entire city. I'd love to see all of Alpine. Well, they don't have to come to this church, but come to any church that's preaching Jesus. Come to the church. Come to Jesus wherever. And the cool thing about the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels is that Jesus doesn't say, well, come to the church. He says, the church, go to the people. Jesus goes into the highways and the byways. He goes into the despair and the dis dysfunction. He goes into the homes of of, of Peter's mother-in-law who is sick. And whenever Jesus sets his foot into a person's life who is distraught, who is hurt, who is sick, he touches. And we can experience that same touch from Jesus today. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder of the servant Savior in this chapter and in this book. The ministry of Jesus with great urgency. For as he says, for this reason I have come, that I may go into the other towns, that I may preach the gospel, that I may heal many, that I may touch lives. Lord, uh, I pray that you would do this work, that many would come to the door of Jesus. As the scripture says, that Jesus stands at the door and knocks at your heart. He's at the door of your heart. And he's a gentleman. He's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to force his way in. But he is going to say, would you invite me in? I knock at the door of your heart. And anyone who opens that door and receives and believes, I will have fellowship with him. I will have a relationship with him. Listen, friend, if you have never received the hope of Jesus Christ in repenting and turning from your sin, and receiving the forgiveness and the solution of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to do that today. It was very simple preaching in, in Jesus' ministry. Repent and believe. Believe the truth of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. Confess your sin to Him and receive cleansing and healing. You know, the leper didn't ask Jesus to heal him. He asked Jesus to cleanse him. Because many times what we think is healing, but what we need is cleansing. You need your heart cleansed by Jesus. And you can receive that cleansing today if you believe and receive by faith through God's grace in Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We thank you for this hope. 
and it's in your name we pray. And we all said, amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.